0: The holiday season is upon us and it's time to catch up with our loved ones to share that home cooking that we've been craving all year long. That's why it's the perfect time to update your COVID vaccine. The updated vaccines now protect against the original COVID virus as well as Omicron. They're here just in time to make those family gatherings extra special and to keep our loved ones safe. Schedule your free vaccine today. Find updated COVID vaccines for everyone five and up at vaccines.gov. We can do this. Paid for it by the US Department of Health and Human Services. I just came by to stir your soul up a bit. This is the Perfectly Imperfect podcast with Regina and Christine, where we share our stories as women openly and honestly.
1: We believe it's through our journeys, our happy and sad times that connect us as sisters because we're all perfectly imperfect. And welcome back to Perfectly Imperfect, where we have vulnerable conversations about mental health, self growth, and relationships. I am Christine, and I'm Regina. Wow! Episode two, here we go.
0: I or know episode ninety, whatever. But yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> where are we? What are we doing?
0: We're uh, we're really lost. We're just really blindly feeling our way
1: through this. <laughs> yeah. But we're excited to talk about today's topic because this is one of the most requested topics. We did post on our Instagram asking for topic suggestions or things that you guys wanted to hear us talk about. And we did have an episode about this, but we also wanted to dive in a little bit deeper because... You know, we're talking about intergenerational trauma and how to unlearn, how to identify it and how to break the cycle,
0: all the juicy, nitty gritty stuff. Yeah, this has definitely been like a trending topic that I see. I don't know if it was like last year or this year where this topic of intergenerational trauma came up. And I think that it's just been like resonating with a lot of us. For the Asian community, creating content and like just seeing ourselves in media is a pretty i would say relatively new thing in the last like 20 years or so more so like when youtube and things like that got big and you know a lot of influencers and content creators we just like started to see more of our faces doing creative projects that we really never imagined doing before and i think that like topics like this started coming up because then we realized like wow there are so many things that we relate to and have in common that we as an Asian community never talked about because it was never really, it was always like looked down upon. You mean feelings. Yes. (laughs) And mental health. Feelings more specifically and mental health. I'm so glad that these topics are now being brought to light because it's like, oh, finally, we're having these conversations openly. We are being vulnerable. And like, I think that we're really connecting as a community because we realized how many traumas we collectively went through and are now processing. And now I think Gen Z, who are kind of growing up in this more like, you know, woke era, they're actually making changes to it versus we as millennials are now learning to process it and are like, oh, identifying like, hey, I went through that too. I experienced that too. And I think that it's like really starting to come together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think with the internet and TikTok is a really big place where there's more emphasis on real people and vulnerability. And I think that's just been a rising topic when stigmas, especially in the Western culture of like mental health and sharing experiences, us as Asian Americans growing up here and being a part of that is like, whoa, what? Why don't we talk about what we're going through? Mm-hmm. Even sometimes now, it's like there's still shame that comes up because we're sharing experiences that might expose The quote unquote bad sides to our family, you know, and you're like, oh, no, my parents would be appalled that I would be talking about this. We're sharing it outside the family, more inclusion and hearing different perspectives, creating safe spaces, even languages around safe spaces. The more that we educate ourselves around mental health, I think that's a big part of being able to unlearn a lot of the things that we just never thought about or even knew was a thing. Like when I was diagnosed with depression, I was like, what? Me? Uh, you know, like, and then then having a term and doing research and advocating for myself in terms of like, no, I I do feel that way. And Mm -hmm. it's okay that I feel that way. Mm -hmm. Versus before the conditioning was like, keep that to yourself. Why would you share that with your parents and have them worry about you?
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And
1: that's stuff that you just need to get your life together. You need to get a good job. You need to get a man, you know, all these things and you'll be happy. Right. And it's like, no, actually this relates to my mental health because I didn't learn to take care of myself. What does that even look like? And therapy and all these other tools that can help in getting to the root of the things versus ignoring it, which is another generational trauma, like how the coping mechanisms, the patterns that get passed down of how we deal with things and why things continue to perpetuate. I think a light bulb moment is like, do we really wanna keep passing this down? As much as we've been through this and we actually have more access to information, do we want to consciously keep passing this down? Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, let's jump into it. Today is more about diving into our personal experiences of how we experience generational trauma, giving examples and how we've unlearned it, as well as us giving some context around why we are the way that we are and all that, all that nitty gritty stuff. All the juicy details. Yeah. You want to start us off with some of the things that you've noticed or experienced when it relates to generational trauma?
0: Yeah, I think that when I first saw the term intergenerational trauma, I'm like, oh, that doesn't apply to me. We all have a really fantastic way that our brain works where we're like, we see something bad and we're like, oh, that has nothing to do with me. But then I think that like the more I learned about it and the more I did my research and just like learned about it, I was like, oh, wow, this is like something that it's like ingrained in us so much that it even affects our parents. And I think that's when I started realizing like, oh, how much is passed down, not just through my parents, but just like The generations that came before that. And I think during the pandemic, you know, I've had a lot of downtime at home and I'm living at home with my parents. And so I'll like bring up these like topics of conversations with my mom, with my dad separately together. And I just learn more about how their upbringing affected them and how that affected me. And I think that the reason why there was like a bigger gap between what they went through, they as in my parents went through and what I went through is because they literally moved from a different country, from China to the US. And those experiences alone are already like very different from their parents. But growing up as a first gen Asian American, comparing that to, you know, the experiences that they had, I was able to identify a lot of things like the exactly like what Christina was saying earlier, feelings and depression, feelings of sadness and things like that. Like I noticed so much that when I talked to my mom, she, she is a very headstrong person. I've said this a lot, and Christine has met her, so she knows exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. She's very like set in her ways, and she wants other people to think like her because she doesn't understand how people could not think like her. Her having grown up also in China and then coming to the U.S. and just mainly staying in the 626 area, never really having to experience true like American culture outside of like a very Asian heavy community there's a lot of things that people here can relate to a lot but if like you were to take her out of this bubble it's like not really that relevant especially now with the world in crises all these like political issues coming to matter climate change and all that like she acknowledges that these are an issue but I think that it's hard for her to like fully grasp the idea of like what is actually happening like I think she has a little bit of that like oh you guys are being like overly dramatic oh you guys are too left-wing or like too right-wing like she's very always trying to see both sides And in turn, she thinks like that even with me when, you know, I start talking about like, oh, yeah, these are the things I'm happy about, but these are the things that I wish I could change. And some of the things that she would say like, oh, you've said that for years now, you're never going to do it. And like, I think those are kind of some of the voices that I have in my head, too, where I'm like, oh, I want to make a change, but... Oh well, I, I just told my mom that I wanted to do it, and and she says that I can't do it, mm-hmm. or when I'm feeling sad, she'll be like, "Why are you feeling sad? Like you have everything and every opportunity in the world that I gave you that you know I never had, and like mm-hmm. I put in so much effort to build this life for you. How could you possibly be sad and especially in the tumultuous state of which the United States is in, I'll like you know jokingly be like, "I need to move to like London or Paris. I need to get out of this country because this country is so chaotic, it's like not." the the environment that I want to be in. And then she'd be like, why would you ever want to go anywhere else? Everywhere else is just as horrible or like it's even worse. Like America's the best. Those are all internalized feelings that I've now learned that have nothing to do with me and like what I'm saying. But it's her and her projecting. Yes. It's her projecting because she feels like I worked so hard to like come to this country and do all these things to make a good life for my daughter. And now she wants to go somewhere else, you know? So like it's not really about like the matter at hand or what we're talking about. It's the feelings that they have internalized that they now project onto us. And I think it's really hard to separate the two, especially for me, right? Like I moved home and I'm in my 30s now. Before, I think in my 20s when I lived away, I still had that capacity to be like, "Oh, I'll report back and I'll tell my mom about things." But usually I'll have already made my decision or I've already done something about it. And then now reverting back to like, oh, I'm living at home again. And then when I tell her about these issues, or if I want her opinion, she doesn't really tell me the things that I want to hear. And it's like, it doesn't really resonate with me, like her messaging. As an adult, it is good to be able to ask your parents for their opinions. But then I think that it's learning to still take that with a grain of salt and still make your own decision. And I feel like that's a process that I've been learning and working on. It's very interesting to me to learn more about my parents and learn about their upbringing and their, you know, like 20s to 40s when they're like raising me, how they were and how they are now and how they try to kind of like implement those things into my life.
1: Yeah. I feel like a lot of people hearing this can relate so much to what you said. A lot of what's happening is their cultural norms and values and how they learn to survive whether that's from their own experience or what their parents taught them and their parents taught them, et cetera, is what they pass down to us. So parents whose coping mechanism tends to be more nervous or out of fear will pass that on to their kids. It's like, oh, no, 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 don't cross the street. Or <laughs> don't cross the street. Jack's mom still tells him, oh, don't. <laughs> She's like, don't run down the stairs.
0: <laughs> like walk slowly down
1: the stairs. It's like those type of And he's like, he's a grown ass man. You know what I mean? So, and then you have other parents who that may not be how they learn to survive or how they learn to cope, which is like, do it, you know, be bold. A lot of how we're conditioned, that's why everything stems from our childhood, the root of things, because, you know, we absorb everything. We don't really know cultural norms or the rules or what society thinks. That's all things that are taught to us and also not given context because a lot of our parents don't tell us those things. Us being... Asian women were really packaged to be as innocent and obedient, naive, and just like a perfect package to be someone's future daughter-in-law or someone's wife, mm-hmm. right? And they may not explicitly tell us this. Some of them, some of us do, right? But it's to keep us pure and innocent and all of that. So, but they don't tell us. They're just like, no, you can't sleep over your friends, right? And you're like, but why? Mm-hmm. Regina gets to. <laughs> and they never tell you, but then you don't learn that stuff until you get older. And you're like, oh yeah, that guy was really sus and I shouldn't mm-hmm. have put myself in that. It's not a shouldn't, but I didn't know. That's how a lot of the generational trauma, a lot of times we we'll say trauma. It seems like such a huge, like, oh my God, you're like PTSD or going to war, that type of trauma. But no, there's like big T and little T trauma. And really it's about what's getting passed down to us that seems normal. When in reality, learning, having more education, especially around mental health, that's not necessarily quote unquote normal. That's just how you are taught. Mm-hmm. And also in the context of how our parents learned to survive. A lot of our immigrant parents came And still operate from a place of survival Mm -hmm. and how you operate in survival, which I think a lot of us can relate to now, especially through the pandemic or even different parts of your life where you just felt like no matter how hard you try, you just can't keep your head above water. When we talk about like scarcity or abundance, it's easy to operate from a place of fear from place of lack, Mm -hmm. because that's your reality right now. Inflation, you know, like milk caused like freaking an arm and leg now. And milk tea was already Mm -hmm. really, you know, (laughs) I'm complaining. But Mm -hmm. when you think like that, everything just kind of feels impossible or out of reach. And you're just concentrating on like, no, you can't do that. You can't afford that. You shouldn't do that. Don't risk it. You know, we all know with Asian mentality is like, the model minority. Don't take the risk. Just follow the path. Put your head down and keep going. Exactly. Keep quiet. Just do what you're supposed to do. But I think that's what our generation and living through that as society changes in a Western environment, we're realizing that's not the reality. And that's where our generation is being faced with the opportunity to break these cycles. First, you got to recognize it because I think it's constantly being reinforced even in our adult life. Mm -hmm. Our generation can, with the information that we know and being able to share with each other, connect. I think a big part of this is being able to connect and create safe spaces. I use that word a lot because why would you be vulnerable if you don't feel safe? And what does even safe space look like? And a lot of times, even in our own families, we don't feel safe to express ourselves, which is... Part of like minimizing our feelings, telling us that it's not as big of a deal. Do you know what they had to struggle through versus are you kind of minimize mm-hmm. your own mm-hmm. experience because they've been through so much more. That's all part of our cultural norm they probably experienced that from their parents as well, right? So the consciousness isn't there Mm -hmm. because the education isn't there. And like, what are the long-term effects that I'm doing to my child that also has been done to me? Because our parents Mm -hmm. oftentimes don't have that level of awareness. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. what they say is like, I went through such difficult times, I turned out okay. And you have to go through difficult times in order to be a better person, which is not necessarily wrong. You can really take a lot of life lessons and learn and reflect on it. But how you do it, how you execute it makes the biggest difference, right? So I I think a lot of times our parents like to jump to the conclusion and use the same coping tools, which is don't think about it, just do it. You have to work hard. You have to sacrifice everything and put family first, which is totally ingrained in our Eastern culture, which is family is everything. Mm -hmm. There's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with that, right? But then you start learning terms like enmeshment and what that means, and the results of that, and you're like, oh, this is why the one person in your family who has really poor emotional regulation, which actually I know this with our family is like all of us, (laughs) because no one ever taught us what healthy emotional regulation looks like, and tools for that, so we just keep everything in, and we blow up at each other, and we cut each other deep, and then then we pretend like nothing happened, right, and we're like a happy family again, (laughs) but enmeshment is like you start realizing how intertwined our relationship is like one person, if they're feeling unhappy, the rest of the family has to feel unhappy. That type of mm-hmm. enmeshment can be very unhealthy, right? You become dependent on each other, which is a lot of when you think about how agents are. We don't draw boundaries. That's what love is. But the result of that is feeling burnt out, mm-hmm. low mm-hmm. self-esteem, feeling really lonely, people pleasing, you know, getting triggered, all built up. We don't ever talk about it. And it's all under, you have to respect your elders no matter what. And you have no autonomy. So how do you even know what you want? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people in their 20s are realizing like, what do I like? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Who am I? You haven't built up that muscle or the tools to better understand ourselves because as we've grown up, we've been totally dismissed on the things that we would like to pursue or like to learn and not necessarily having it result in it being the thing that we make money from. It has to have like a certain outcome for it to be worth it. Why can't we just pursue things? Because we want to learn.
0: And I think that our parents have always... (laughs) I think it is an Asian thing where our parents tell us what to like. Our parents tell us what we like, even though it may (laughs) not actually be what we like. And I think that like I look back at my childhood and there are so many hobbies and sports and things that my mom and my parents were like, oh, yeah, you should do this because, you know, it's good for enrichment and things like that. And I look back at it and I'm like, I don't even know if I really, truly enjoyed it. Like, I think that there are things that I liked and I wanted to do, like singing and, you know, take voice mm-hmm. lessons and things like that. And my mom was like, no, 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 piano is much better. Or like, you know, you should go learn to play tennis and basketball and I really liked swimming. And she's like, oh, but like, you know, these sports are better. And she would put me in what she thought was best for me, which I think is what a lot of parents do. And not to say that I'm not grateful for those opportunities, but it's not necessarily like what I wanted. And I'm not trying to come off as like, I'm so ungrateful. I had to go take tennis instead, you know, instead of go swimming. But it's just like, In a way, like our parents worked so hard to come here, they felt like they had a say in how they could like shape us into like who they wanted us to be. And they didn't really think about the fact that like, oh, we are our own human beings with our own feelings, because back then, you know, when they were growing up, like they had even fewer opportunities. So to them, they're like, oh, great. I can mold this like perfect child with my own hands. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think that like when we defy them or when we argue with them, they're like, I don't understand how this could be happening. Like I'm giving them all the opportunity in the world and, you know, I'm pouring my heart and soul into them. Why don't they listen? Why are they arguing back with me? Like, what could possibly be wrong?
1: They're like treating us like baking. You know how it's like the exact <laughs> ingredients and the science of it? And you're like, I should have like yeah. a perfect cake. Why yeah. is this just goop? Why is one day one side deflated? What is this? <laughs> Ew! You know? And then we're the goop and we're like, please still love us. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we're the unbaked part. Yeah.
1: What if I added some icing on top? Would that yeah. be better?
0: <laughs> Yeah. And I think too, the reason why intergenerational trauma is so interesting to me is because I realize how much it affects each individual person. Kind of like what you're saying where you realize there's this common thread with like your family, where if one person is upset, they want everyone to know and they make it everyone's problem. Every family handles it in a different way and it like resurfaces in different ways. But I noticed that like with my dad, if there's something wrong with him, he just like holds it in. Mm. Because he grew up in a household where his parents fought a lot. And it was definitely very like, men are the head of the household. And I think that he just grew up in that kind of environment where it was just like very stressful. And it was very rigid. For him, when he was raising a family, he was like, oh, I want it to be the opposite. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want anyone to fight. And you know And then he married your mom who's like and he married my mother slogan. this fiery woman <laughs> yeah. who's outspoken and she does whatever she wants. Opinionated. And is super yeah. opinionated. And so In order to, like, not ruffle feathers, he's like, I'm just going to keep this all to myself. And he is, like, proud of this. Like, he'll tell me. uh, He's told me on many occasions, like, I'm so proud that I, like, never raised my voice. I mean, I can actually count on probably one hand the amount of times that I remember him actually yelling at me in my entire like 31 years of being. (laughs) That just goes to show how many times like he wanted to yell at you, but he just kept it. in. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And like, you know, with even with my mom, like he's super just like, I will do what you need. I will be there for you. You want to argue. And I think sometimes my mom like prods him and like wants him to fight back or like wants him to, you know, say a certain thing, but he doesn't. He just keeps his cool, keeps his calm. And I'm like, you know, that's also a mental illness, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a coping mechanism. That's the role that he felt he had to play in order to keep the peace.
0: Exactly. And I think that he is so focused on keeping the peace that I'm like, it's not healthy to harbor all these Mm -hmm. things. And then it's also not healthy to then use your daughter (laughs) as your therapist. Yes. You know, and I think that that's a thing too. Like in Asian families, you either have a hard parent or you have a soft parent. And I have one of each. My mother is the hard parent. My dad is the soft parent. I have both hard parents yeah Yeah, and and i think that like it's like everybody has like a different combination of these types of parents when our parents start growing up, start growing up. Yeah. When they start growing up, like they start to use us as therapists. Yes. My dad definitely does it more than like my mom, but my mom does it too. Or she'll like, (laughs) she'll like tell me about a situation, but then she's already like has her opinion and has already made her decision (laughs) about it versus my dad and I are like, oh, let's like have like a conversation about this. you know? Now with the topic of like suicide and mental health and depression and bipolar. You know, all of these, like, issues coming up with celebrities being more open about them, Mm -hmm. like, my parents are like, oh, my God, but how can that be? Like, they still don't understand how can someone as successful and as glamorous as Selena Gomez deal with depression and bipolar disorder? And I'm like, well, you know, that's why people have therapy. And they're like, huh? (laughs) Therapy? Like, what's that? Like, they're so gung-ho about people being happy and wellness. Like, my dad is actually, like, working on a drug that he is now hoping will treat, like, severe depressions. Because he wants to help, like, prevent people from committing suicide. Like, that's something that he's working towards. But then when I mention therapy, he's like, oh, why would they go to therapy? And I'm like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like there's just there's just a disconnect. They are for people getting help and like taking medication, but to them, therapy is still kind of like a is like a wonky idea, which is very interesting.
1: Well, it's such a Western concept,
0: yeah. Eastern traditions are like mental health isn't even a thing. Mm-hmm.
1: If you think about it, so much of our Asian identity and what we were unconsciously taught, or just like was passed down to us is that our identity is how well that we can take care of our family. So much of the Eastern culture is about family, right? And if there's any mental unwellness or any mental illness shows the weakness within you to be incapable of taking care of your family. And, and if anything, you can possibly be ostracized for having mental health conditions because mm-hmm. there's no education around it. Mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. stigma of having mental health issues. It's like, mental institution or something. Yeah. Like you're that. like wanting yeah. to kill people and stuff. Right. So they'll always say, like, I'm not that mentally unwell. The way that Asian people have learned to have a form of therapy is through family. And even then, very selectively and yes. I think this is something like talking to my clients many people experience where like you said you become your parents therapist even at a very young age right mm-hmm. they're just like oh I'm just really ingrate your dad I'm just gonna talk about it mm-hmm, right and when you get mm-hmm. older they just keep sharing more of it and you feel like you go talk to your dad for me you know or you go tell your mom that blah 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 and you're like the mediator and the translator and the therapist all these things right mm-hmm. I talked to my mom about that and I'm like you know <laughs> seek a professional person who actually can help you through this, who actually can hear you and give you better insight and information versus me. You have to understand that that creates a bias for me. Of course, it's going to affect me because you're talking about my dad. Mm-hmm. My dad is talking about my mom. I'm going to yeah. feel a certain way and the impact that it has on my overall well-being. But that's all lumped into that's part of your role as our kid, right? And I'm like, well, if you don't feel comfortable talking to a therapist, like, what do you think about talking to one of your close personal friends? Why don't you talk to this auntie, like I, your brother, mm-hmm. she's like, oh, I would never. Yeah, I would never, <laughs> you know? Why
0: would I tell them that? They yet? feel like it's airing their dirty laundry. Yes, yeah,
1: they're embarrassed by mm-hmm. it. I realize in this awareness that we have that a lot of us are recognizing and starting to do the work that they didn't do or our past generations never did. And I totally give them credit that their environment and during those times, that was not acceptable, whether mm-hmm. Eastern or Western. It's just the studies weren't around. They didn't have access to that. They didn't have internet to hear what other people were sharing and stuff that we do. They're not doing the work, the awareness and creating how if my energy is affecting other people. Mm-hmm. You actually get to see how the seed of things are planted and why you ended up being the way that you are. So for me, a very small thing that I noticed is that my mom since i was a little girl to where i am now will make side comments or criticisms towards things that i like so if i wear something ever since i was young when i started to pick my own clothes she's always like she just gives so much shade there's i think the people who are best at shade are asian moms they're just so good at like (laughs) low-key shade yeah and then like she just without missing a beat would be like you're wearing those shoes you think that looks good? You know, and she says in a way where it's almost like she's joking about it, Mm -hmm. but she totally means she's like, I would never wear that. Mm -hmm. I grew up just completely doubting things that I like. And then so eventually and being a people pleaser, I would change my outfit or I would be like, oh, and even if I chose to wear it, I wouldn't feel good in it. Because the voice is already implanted to doubt myself, my own Mm -hmm. instincts on what I like and don't like. So Mm -hmm. I get confused. I have no clarity around that. And that seed gets planted into many areas of my life, which includes being in a relationship with a man, my friendships, work, just always doubting myself and looking to other people. This is why for me, jealousy became a huge part of and being comparing myself because my mom would say things she would compare me to her right in that sense or academically we all know asian parents compare you to other people's kids so if you don't even know what you want and you're taught to doubt even little things like your style or what you like but like regina said you don't like singing you're not good at singing why would you do that even if it's from a good intention it plants that seed, and therefore, when we go out into the real world and we mature, that seed has grown into just self doubt and everything. Mm-hmm. So you accept minimum behavior from your partner, toxic behavior, because you're just like, oh, well, I don't know if that's bad. I, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, which is not a bad thing. But you start compromising so much of yourself because that internal critic that you internalize from the seed, from your caregivers to other people who have reinforced that, because that's how you see life. That's the perspective is shaped. Women in the workforce, we put ourselves down because we're like, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, you're telling me that that's the way it should be done or my opinion isn't right or the way I see things. It all gets internalized and comes out in all these different ways. So then we ask ourselves, why do we feel burnt out? Why do I feel so crappy about myself? Why do not I have the energy to do the things that I want to pursue? I'm so scared of failing.
0: It all stems from somewhere if you really, truly take that time to reflect. And that's why Christine and I always talk about journaling and looking within and just like understanding that like the voices in your head, they didn't come out of nowhere you know, like they all stemmed from a situation or a scenario or repetitive behavior. Like exactly like what you said, my mom does that too. Where I just remember in college, like I was coming from school. She was coming from work. I was sick and I need to go to the doctor's office. So I showed up in like leggings and a crew neck and she was like, Oh, that's what you're wearing. And I'm like, mother I do not feel well. I'm at the doctor's office because I don't feel well. Like, why Why do you care what I'm wearing? Even though my mom always says, she's like, oh, I'm very confident in myself. Like, you know, I don't care what other people think. But it's like, then why do you care if I wore like a crew neck and leggings to the doctor's office? She's like, you're embarrassing me. Yeah, at the doctor's office. I think that if you really take the time to like reflect and think about it, like everything stems from something. And that's not to say that like when we have kids or future generations, whatever, like that we don't do these things as well that will cause them to have intergenerational trauma. But it's like being aware enough to like openly have these conversations and open that channel of communication so that hopefully it will be less traumatizing for the next generation. Because I think up until this point it just felt like every generation has just been traumatizing the next yeah no, for sure yeah. and no one no one ever really addresses it and this is like the first generation where like hey i'm tired of this what i experienced growing up like i don't want to pass that on to the next generation i can see in situations where you know comments that like our mothers have made about like what we wear and we snap like yeah it's connected It's all connected because it's like, I've heard this so many times up until this point. And that was like the last straw. And I've had many moments like that myself that I'm like not proud of, but it's being able to like, okay, we've identified the issue. What are we going to do about it now? How are we going to change? And how are we going to think about this? You know, in our previous episode, we talked about this a lot in terms of our own like self-growth, but like being able to separate the things that our parents say to us versus like what we actually want for ourselves and like really just standing up for yourself and like believing in your own decisions and being able to separate that from just the ideation of like what they believed and hoped you would be. Like, I think that like one of the things that's really hard is that when they have this hope of like, oh, I wish that (laughs) you wouldn't wear t-shirts with holes in them. And then you turned out to be the kid who does wear t-shirts with holes in them. And they're like, oh, but how did they fall short of that? And I think that that also can get internalized and turn again into those like deep, dark thoughts that we have about ourselves.
1: Yeah, totally. And we think it's not a big deal because we're also taught to not complain. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And we're also taught to question ourselves and to just suck it up because even things that are like not directly said to us, like watching our moms basically self-sacrifice and put everybody's needs in front of their own and you see them burnt out. And even a lot of our moms, they work Mm -hmm. and they also come home and they take care of the household. It's like the gender rules are Mm -hmm. so very ingrained. And not to say our dads don't work hard, but it's very like you hear comments or even just see it where it's like, oh, that's what your mom's supposed to do or that's what you're going to do. You should take it on. And you see yourself being treated differently than your brothers. And they're all trying to set you up for success in the cultural expectations because of your gender. Things like that. Mm -hmm. This is what really changed a lot of the way that I saw things. I might have mentioned it in previous episodes, but learning to let two things exist at the same time, even if they seem contradictory. Mm -hmm. So your parents can, could have the best intentions, but you're also allowed to feel the way that you feel. Yeah. They could have the best intentions in the reality of how they grew up and what they've experienced in life is, I'm trying to protect you because I don't want you to have a mother-in-law that's going to hate you because you're not taking care of her son. You're not doing the things mm-hmm. that you should be doing. Therefore, it reflects poorly upon your entire family that brought you up. The intention can be good, but you could also feel like this is not fair. Why do I have to do the dishes while you let my brother just not do any of the household chores? Because he's simply a man and his job in the future would just be purely to bring in financial stability for his family. So all of that gets unconsciously passed down. And that's the process for us in this generation. Let's talk about the unlearning part. You know, I know we kind of dabbled into that. I would encourage everyone who's interested in like, if you relate to some of the things that we've shared to Just Google and look, there's a lot of information, a lot of podcasts and books that are exploring generational trauma, the science behind it, even the tools. And we talk about emotional regulation has a lot to do with why you feel triggered, what happens in the brain to make you feel fight or flight and how to regulate your nervous system, which is what happens in high alert. And it affects every part of your body when it senses that your life is being threatened. And here's the thing. Your brain can't tell the difference between you being chased by a lion versus your mom saying your, your office sucks, you know, because <laughs> like, again, when you don't, listen to having a therapist or having a professional that you can actually even just vent or unload the stuff and have them be able to untangle a lot of those things and explain to you what's going on, teach you better tools, explain things to you in a way that you're not holding it all in. The Asian mentality is like, just suppress it. You won't have to deal with it anymore. But eventually, what ends up happening is like first you numb yourself out, and then you're unable to get past a lot of things because you're holding things in, and it leads to resentment. Oftentimes, for us, I'm sure with our parents too, it's like after we have a blowout fight, something that seems so insignificant and small that set us off, that triggered us, then we react in a way that's just like disproportionate to the actual reality of what happened. Right? We're just like, "You never loved me. You don't care about me. I'm such." say this and stuff like that and then we say things that are hurtful or react in ways that you know we push them away, we ignore them, we, we run away and stuff. That's all because it's built up resentment. You're not allowed to express yourself. You're not allowed to have conversation where your parents can take that in and be like, "Oh, I hear what you're saying and I didn't know that it affected you that way. The overall goal is that I want you to have confidence, you know? I want you to live your best life and obviously what's happening is that we are coming from two different spectrums of how to communicate that and what that means. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an extra factor that a lot of children of immigrants experience, which is the language and cultural barrier. There's no context. And Mm -hmm. as I'm trying to have more intentional conversations with my parents, I'll explicitly ask them, I'm like, what does that mean? You know, When you say, I was just having a conversation with my dad where he just He said it in a way where he understood how unfair it was, but that's just what it was. He was like, yeah, in Asian culture, it's totally okay for the man to cheat on the wife. And then the wife gets the blame of that what did you not do to keep your husband happy? It's more acceptable. Mm-hmm. It's okay for him to remarry, and there's less stigma attached to it. Versus a lot of our moms coming from that generation and before is that they didn't have as many opportunities to be financially independent. So their survival and their children's survival totally dependent on them taking the abuse from their husbands. And it's on the woman to keep...
0: as you're saying this, my dad's calling me.
1: He heard me! Oh my God. <laughs> He's like... <laughs> I'm following
0: you. I know what you're doing.
1: (laughs) Those are the things I'm like, but why do you think that is? You know? And he's never critically thought about that. He just like, oh, that's just what it is. Mm -hmm. That's also been one of the things about when we're talking about unlearning a lot of these behaviors is first educating yourself and doing the work that our parents have not done Mm -hmm. and taking the time to be like, why am I acting like this? Do you even like yourself when you react in that way? Why does it always have to be so extreme? Either you Mm -hmm. accept everything as is and you just keep your mouth shut or you blow up Mm -hmm. in an uncomfortable situation where a lot of our family members don't do the work. How can you still be the proactive person to have these uncomfortable conversations and do the work beforehand that you don't feel personally attacked when they reject you, you know, when they call you Mm -hmm. out for it? Because a lot of times with systems that are already so ingrained, Any type of threat to what is routine and consistent, reliable, predictable, you're going to set off bombs everywhere. People are going to freak out. So you're challenging them. You're challenging everything about them, what they grew up to believe in, what they've built up for themselves of how they survived. And you're basically saying in their heads, how they're interpreting it is like, you're wrong. You're the problem. And that's why I also want to clarify that Although we're talking about identifying generational traumas, mm-hmm. the next step is not necessarily to dwell in, like, oh, it's completely your parents' fault. There's a process, and you take as long as you need in that because you have a right to feel angry. You know, you have a right to feel upset for being silenced for so long or feeling like you don't matter or you're dumb or you're just a complainer, you're the problem. But eventually, getting to a point where, just like Regina said, it's understanding that. Our parents, just like us, grew up in an environment that conditioned them to be and think in that way. And they honestly, a lot of them tried their best. From our interpretation, maybe like, that's not the best. What do you mean? You can try harder. Mm -hmm. Again, those two things can exist at the same time. You can feel angry about it and upset that why weren't they more patient? Why were they not more encouraging and all of that? But also there's a place to exist of compassion that they just did a lot of times what all the other parents
0: were doing and what they were taught. Mm -hmm. And that was their, again, their survival mechanism. Like that's how they knew to survive and how they knew to exist in this new country, trying to build a life for themselves. And I think that like, With this intergenerational trauma, I like that you brought up the point that it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I think it's really easy to be like, well, everything is our parents' fault. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm perfect. I don't really have to fix anything. But it's like, oh, yeah, okay, once you identify the issue, like, what are you going to do about it? Because if you don't identify it and you don't work on these things, it's just going to keep getting passed on and passed on to the next generation over and over again. And we're just going to see the same patterns. I think that, like, being able to take a step back and be like, okay, that is their own trauma. This is my own trauma. Like, how are we going to deal with the situation at hand? How are we going to continue coexisting and taking our parents' opinions into consideration, but then also making decisions for ourselves of like how we want to be better parents, how we want to be better children. It is really easy when we're in that pattern of like, yeah, we hold it in, hold it in, hold it in, and then explode. Like that's a very common practice, I think, Mm -hmm. with parent-child relationships. But like, how can we prevent that moving forward? Like there are a lot of times now where I will actually confront my mom if she says something and I'm like, that's mean. Mm -hmm. Like take a look, take a step back, think about what you said, wasn't that mean? That was kind of mean. And she'll be like, okay, fine. I'll rephrase it. Mm. And it's like, okay, look, we're healing and we're learning. Like it's those conversations that we need to have because at the end of the day, our parents do love us, you know, like they do want the best for us. They might not do it in the way that we may understand love or accept love, but they do want to improve that relationship that they have with you. And I think that we kind of go through our times of like ups and downs of like what works and what doesn't, being able to just identify, learn, and separate. That has helped me so much as I grow into myself as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. I really like what you said in breaking it down and start where you're at. Give yourself permission to feel the things that you feel versus the things that you think you should be feeling and how you should be reacting. Mm -hmm. Identify the shame, the guilt, the feelings that do come up. Don't ignore them learn to be conscious of what's going on, how you're reacting, why you're reacting. I always use this example with my clients. It's like, when you go to the doctors and you're like, oh my God, I think I have cancer. And your doctor's like, okay, well, okay, that's trace back. Start a health diary of when you're saying you have gut issues, what are you eating every day? And we can then recognize some of the patterns and start eliminating things from there. So this is the same thing where it's like, I feel so triggered. Well, what happened around that trigger? Was it that you were really tired from work? Work has been really stressful. Your dad has mentioned that a couple of times about your weight or how much money are you making and all of that, it's adding to the stress. So you actually keep a diary and awareness and also what thoughts form from that. Those are some of the exercises I always do with my clients, even for myself to just see, it's not just the feeling. And then just being like, oh, I'm so mad and that's it. And the feeling just lingers, being able to have more context and information around that. So then you actually start to see a pattern of, oh, when I am on overload or I'm very sensitive when it comes to X, Y, and Z, it exposes a lot of fears and insecurities. And then you could be able to be like, where does this come from? This is why working with a professional can help you, can, can help you identify those things faster or, but it's like going to a tutor. It doesn't mean that you're going to be a better student or you're going to excel in math just because you have a math tutor, but you have more help. You can go to people for questions versus just trying to figure it out on your own. So it's a tool. If you have access to that, then that's great. I'm not at all trying to be like therapy is the answer to everything. You can do this work on your own, but it's like being intentional and also giving yourself space and permission to be like, you're not always going to get it right. I think there's this great pressure You can tie it back to what we're taught about, like productivity. If you're gonna do something, then the outcome should be this. Therefore, it proves that that was worth your time and investment, or else you're just wasting time. You're not gonna get it right. This is a practice. Mm -hmm. So there'll be days where you're like, I still yelled at my parents. I still didn't speak up or advocate for myself at work. It's okay. You just recognize that. And again, put it in your diary or in your tracking. It's like, I realized that today I felt a certain way at work when someone said this, but I didn't say anything. And over time, you'll get to know yourself really well. It's like what we said about allergies. And if you just know, like me, I have food allergies. I'm not gonna put myself in a situation where you know, I'm just eating eggs. I'm gonna be conscious of that and seeing if I have certain reactions, I can trace it back to what happened. This is why boundaries is a tool that It's very hard for Asians to implement, especially Asians, because that totally dies into our love language with our parents. Although we fight hard, we also love really hard. The thing about that is you're giving yourself space to identify all the things that piss you off or get you sad or, you know, make you happy and stuff like that and heal from that, implement some of the tools, practice so that when you encounter your parents or people that trigger you, you have tools in place in order to deal with that. Versus as you're doing this work and you have no boundaries, you're setting yourself up to get triggered all the time again, because you're putting yourself back in that type of environment. So boundaries doesn't mean you don't love them. If anything, that's what I've learned is like boundaries is because you love them, you want to keep them in your life. You are working on yourself so that you can accept them as they are. If they never change, if our parents never do the work and they never create that self-awareness, then what can you do for yourself to work on the tools and practice those tools so that you can, like Regina said, separate that? their projection, and what your interpretation of their projection means. Because we all do that. Mm -hmm. The goal isn't, I'm never going to pass down trauma. I think it's just creating awareness. A lot of us, when we ask ourselves, ideally, yes, we like our parents to just change and not be like that. But then it's also just like, can you just acknowledge what I'm saying? Mm
0: -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I just want you to
1: hear me versus coming back defensively.
0: Yeah. Like, can we just start somewhere? Yeah. And I I love what you said about... Just the fact that this is all a work in progress. We're just trying to hope that we can open the communication channels to build better relationships with one another. That's really what it is, right? With our parents' generation and with the future generation, however that looks like in your life. And understanding that like there will be good days, there will be bad days, but as long as you're making some sort of progress becoming more comfortable with being vulnerable, being more comfortable with telling your parents like, hey, that thing, it really hurt me. And I don't appreciate being talked to in that way. Like just improvements, minor, major, whatever they may be, and whatever your journey looks like, that is really all we can ask of ourselves. It's funny because like I've started having these conversations more with my friends because I've gotten to know their parents more as an adult. We like look at them, I'm like, oh, hey, have you noticed that that's something that your mom does that you do as well? And they're like, oh, that totally did not process in my head. And bringing awareness is kind of that first step. Awareness, of yourself, awareness of your parents, awareness of the relationship that you have together, and then just building on this process of like, okay, how can I continue to heal but still work on these issues that I know have been there since I was a kid?
1: Yeah, and you'll start to see a lot of it is like having higher EQ is such a buzz word right now, especially when it comes to <laughs> it comes to men. But doing the work so that you level up on your emotional maturity. Think about the idealized fantasy of what we want our parents to be like, how they can handle conversations without freaking out or like being defensive. You actually get to see where along the way. They probably were stunted in how they grew emotionally. And it makes sense because, you know, their parents probably weren't equipped with that either. So a lot of when they speak outage, and then you recognize that within yourself because you're doing the work too. Like when I react very harshly, I'm like, that's my rebellious high school self because I don't feel heard. I see that more in my parents as well. When they act that way, it's not reflective of their actual age. You would think someone in their 60s would no longer lash out or say certain things anymore. So that's what I actually use to guide me in the type of person that I want to become. And how can I learn to handle things more patiently, more understanding, with more compassion, and allowing people just to be who they are versus who I want them to be in order for me to love and accept them. It's easier Mm -hmm. said than done, right? But it's, again, it's a process. So we're here to encourage you that if you feel that way, you relate to that, start where you are google how to create safe spaces create that dialogue with the people around you with your friends understand that so you actually have a place where you can share thoughts and not feel judged upon it if you have friends that you feel like you're going to judge you i would highly <laughs> encourage you to take a look at those friendships if you're not ready to make that step to therapy you don't have you can't afford it totally understand there's lots of resources out there that you can find a community to find a place of belonging therefore you're not so desperately needing that from your parents You can have an outlet for that. And then, you know, share this episode with a friend who you feel like also is like, oh my God, I feel the same way or my parents are this and that, you know, and it's all about just creating dialogue and continuing the vulnerable safe spaces. And that's what Pip is all about. Yeah. I know this topic has way more legs and a lot of different places that it can go. So if you guys want to hear more about this topic, just let us know. You can email us, DM us, whatever
0: your form of communication you
1: prefer. We can make another episode about it as we continue learning. We love to share what we know as well. And we also learn a lot from you guys.
0: I think even just this conversation that we've had alone, it's helped me feel more at peace and calm. Just listening to your experiences with your parents and just reflecting on my own experiences with my parents, just being like, okay, it's okay. We're making baby steps. We've already grown so much from the previous time that we've talked about this conversation. And I hope that you guys learned a little bit something about yourselves as well.
1: And you're not alone. I think that's the biggest thing where so much of this feels like an isolated thing was wrong with me Mm -hmm. and you start to recognize it's a community thing. It's a cultural thing and so many of Mm -hmm. us experience it on different levels. Mm -hmm. So with that, we'll talk to you in our next episode. Bye! Bye.